So welcome back to Skills Thank from you. Mars. It's a pleasure. It's really a pleasure. <laughs> I just re-listened to our uh, latest uh, discussion. <laughs> I realized that we were actually way in front of all of the, the resilience discussions. And it was very fun to re-listen to. You know, it's, I mean, nature is designed with specialization. It's not that everything needs to be generalist. So you need to specialize for functions. But then function has come, has come to mean structure. So a function in an organization is a structure. But that's not the point. A function is a function. Breathing is a function, not lungs. And actually, if you see how nature breathes in our body, it's in every single cell. The lungs are just the first step, but then it's the cells breathing and creating energy with oxygen. So we have oversimplified, I think, what is needed by nature. And of course, you need function. You need specialization of the cells of the organization, if you want, for the function. But that that's much more related to capabilities, competencies, capabilities, than to predefined structures. And I think that's where we got it completely wrong with the mechanistic, uh, with the mechanistic paradigm. It was, it was good for its time. We needed to scale up industry. We needed to scale up uh, just producing things for the day-to-day -day use. Well, actually, even more than that, so for, first, yes, I totally agree. It was uh, pretty much needed in that moment. We were actually starting the mass production, the pop culture. And I mean, we wouldn't have Star Wars without that. So I would never say it wasn't needed. But I, I, I tend, when in, in my adaptive or design series or even trainings and, and, and work with customers, I try to make it very clear that I don't think that the industrial mm, produced, industrial age produced or design discipline needs to be uh, overtaken or even overcome. I think we should build on the shoulders of those giants, people and, and, and schools of thoughts and experiences because each organization needs to be both stable and adaptive. And so you need both. You need structure. You need plan and control in some aspects of the life of the organization. Uh, but then you, you also need something else, which is more, uh, much more about emergence, much more about resilience or even anti-fragility. And that means that you need redundancy. You need a certain amount of entropy to bear different capabilities. You need both things. Now, the first, incredibly, is the one in which we have less experience as a species. So, I mean, the, the, the dream of a stable and, and, and predictable world has been, what, one, one century in all of our history. But in that century, we have invented management and organizational discipline as we and know them. And hierarchy as we know them, <laughs> and exactly. job descriptions, and yeah. <laughs> exactly. But then if you look at the other part, it hasn't been formalized, but it's been there for much longer. I mean, while we had Taylor, we had fortunately also Mary Parker Follett, and we have people doing this like the hoax since the 70s. It's not all new with this 
teal and uh, something crassy like holacracy, whatever, uh, humanocracy now from uh, my good friends, uh, uh, Gary Hamel and, uh, and uh, Zanini. Uh, so, uh, it's, I mean, it's been there for very long, not only in the century of which we have uh, track records. So, I think we should just rediscover it and, uh, and use it together with what we have, we have devised in the last century as a discipline and as tools, organizational tools. When by tools, I mean also techniques, types of structures in fact they are evolving now we have a lot of people talking about new well new namely some of them uh, called new structures like i don't know self-organized teams actually that dates back to eric trist and a lot of <laughs> a lot of time ago with sociotech but then now we have micro enterprises and this all, all this ad about business ecosystems it's basically about enabling different structure to exist. But at the end, 99% uh, I hear is about structure. And that's not the point at all. That's what I wanted to tell and ask as well. How many people, I still find that what we are working on and what we believe in is a niche. And it's a small niche. I think that talk, even talking about resilience, which sounds like a, not a complicated concept. It is a complicated concept. It's not a simple concept. And, and it's way easier to take the easy way, uh, the simple way of just drafting a policy, drafting a process, trying to work on that, than to even think of what you're dealing with as complex. Yes, definitely. It is for us, because we have been trained in that other kind of thinking. I mean, our schools are devised like industrial plants producing people <laughs> learning. So the very fact that we are, we are told what we need to learn in each specific year actually doesn't make any sense if you know anything about how we learn as organisms. But it makes a lot of sense if you understand that it has been formalized in the industrial, industrial mindset. And it is basically like a production line of learning for people. So we are, we got used to this kind of thinking. We as Western society, not all of the world actually. And so it is easier for us. It is the first thing that comes to our mind in the scope of work is crafting a process, a policy, set of rules, and then try to control that things go according to that. And measure up to their bones and then get yes. upset because the data is not uh, complete and accurate and clean. <laughs> but then, is that a Nietzsche? That's an interesting uh, question. Um, it, I think it depends on uh, how you look at the thing. So, uh, there are a couple of, of perspectives that are possible. So, first of all, if you look at the practices, the new practices that are embracing this, yes, probably there's still a niche. Maybe they're now more close to 10% of the market instead of 1% as it was 15 or 20 years ago. But still, it's not uh, the majority. Um, if you think about the industrial worldview, this ethos, this epistemology, it's definitely the mainstream still. But only 
Interest, interestingly, if you focus on work, because then I don't know many people that craft policies in their families or analyze data in the family to take decision. There are a few geeks that do that. Huh? There are, but I really don't believe that's the mainstream. I did. I think that's it. It's the opposite in this case. Ninety percent. I agree. That's where the discrepancy with organizing, self-organizing cities comes from and, uh, and or, uh, pre-organized organization and pre-designed organizations. And one is definitely more successful than the other. Exactly. So that's, that's the thing. It's not necessarily, it is, the main, it is the majority and the mainstream only if you bound the way you look quite steeply and again, you apply an industrial mindset in how you answer the question. But if you don't, if you think transcontextually and you really open up and look into the world, it's definitely a minority of people applying, uh, the hours in which the thinking is applied is a minority. It's a minority of, of the whole way of living, even in the Western society, if you think about the good the self-organizing city the other part of what is done in the in the organization which is, uh, there is part that is uh, being done according to this new paradigm but then uh, the good the, the normal way of 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 uh, be leaving a family just not managing in that case but it's leaving the family uh, and 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 in, and there pretty much all the people i've come to meet even those that have been strongly trained in business schools, they wouldn't dream of saying that something that matters in their family is measured by numbers. They, they, actually, one question that I ask people when I talk about complexity and complicated and command and control paradigms versus surfing emergence is to think about what matter must in your life just take a moment say it can be a moment that comes to your life like an experience it can be a scope or a person or whatever and then that after they have it in mind they ask them if for them that's a mostly complicated or mostly complex domain and it is always complex always what matters for us what is really uh what makes our life it's complex, it's emergent, it's uncontrollable, it's unpredictable, it's uncontrollable. So we all know about it. So I don't think it's a Nietzsche. I just think that there hasn't been a formalized discipline. It's, it's emerging. And also there are a lot of dogmas have been emerging coming from the previous mindset, but they're making their way. People are understanding uh, that, that there is no off-the-shelf model to follow. Each each individual, each family, and each organization is unique. You have to dance uh, with that uniqueness, respect it, and have that uniqueness expressed the way it wants and needs to be organized and generate then, as a last step, generate the proper structures. Things like a feedback. So any anything that's measuring what you're doing. Like uh, how many hours of sleep you have, how many calories you ate in a day, how many steps you took, uh, what's your heart rate? Yeah, the, the quantified self, they call it, it. Exactly. And trying to control every little thing that you are doing to the 
milligram or milliliter or whatever kind of measurement you're using. Where do you think this will lead us? More fear, to more fear. So what I have clear, and probably it will get confused as I age, but still for the moment is one thing I have clear that I have learned and experienced is that the more you believe things are separated, people are separated from each other, uh, you have been separated uh, from your dear ones by death, we are separate uh, from nature and an organization is separate from a competitor and so on and so forth. The more you do that with your brain, the less you are being part of the real life, which is indeed not separate at all. And that brings more fear. Now, the more you feel afraid, the more you will try to separate. And that's a downward spiral that leads to more fear and more defense in the form of separation of boundaries against another country, against your neighbor, against uh, even your own children. And that happens a lot in our society that has been enhancing competition and ego historically, Western society, whereas nature is, has lived always in a good balance from the individual part of perception of life and the ecological, ecosystemic part, which I simply uh, translate into love. For me, love is basically the experience of not being separate the experience of being together, being interbeing, Thich Nhat Hanh would say. And so I think that would lead to more and more separation and more and more fear. But you can break that if you want. I think people are working actively. So while we see so many people quantifying the self, we also see so many people resonating with the work and message of, I don't know, Stephen Harrow Banner, Nora Bates and Tignat Han and, and so many others. And so many people interested in uh, developing intellectually and spending their time in uh, intellectually driven kind of activities. Way more, more and more. This is why, why I think of the new world of work as more of a renaissance or a possibility to have that rather than to go into the dark because machines are going to conquer us and we'll just be uh, couch potatoes uh, doing nothing. Uh, and having the machines think, uh, think for us. I think it's a possibility for us to get out of what we're doing, out of this uh, mechanistical kind of work, uh, work and world, and be ourselves, finally. And I would agree with you on that. And I would add that big part of that for me is going back to embodying ourselves. It's uh, going back to using our brain as part of our perception of things and not uh, thinking our way through life, but much more thinking, feeling, living our way through life. And there are things that we cannot understand by definition, because we are a part, a small subsystem of much broader systems that have a wisdom that we cannot even imagine. And, and science is getting there now, finally. So we should let go of trying to understand, which is a form of control. It's some, to some extent driven by curiosity, which is fairly nice, but to some other extent is also, in my honest opinion, driven by fear. 
And so this need to, you know, to control disease, control uh, suffering, control death. Truth is we can't. So we should keep improving how, how our being in the world using our brain, which is a very good thing. But in the, same, in the meanwhile, at the same time, we should also uh, rediscover the power of our embodied wisdom, which is pretty much ancient, very connected to everything around us. We can feel things if we open our sensory gatings. We know things that are much, much broader than the things that we can think of only using the brain. So I think that a big part is uh, changing the meaning of intellectual work. What we mean when we say they. Intellectual should be of the mind in a more holistic term and not of the cortex of the brain as a process of just one part of ourselves. Think of the time when Yeah, bots will do what we don't want to do, right? And we are finally free to do whatever we want to do. Would we still call this work or would we call it differently? So imagine you're living in, uh, in the 18th century. Mm -hmm. And imagine you're asking that question. And then imagine... <laughs> My everything... grandma would come with a broom and say, girl, what are you talking about? Exactly. Get down to work. <laughs> exactly. And then imagine it happens. Imagine we have the machines that do what we were used to do and we invent a different kind of work. And then there is this podcast talking about it now projected in 300 years, three centuries. And I think we will be doing the same conversation, same discussion. Technology is an extension of us into the world. It will always done what it has always done. It is... Um, materializing our consciousness in the world. Since we built the first wheel, because we wanted to travel far and, and lighter and easier to then the car, the light bulb, electricity, the computer, and we can keep going. We can even, you know, biomechatronics, we can even start changing our body physically. Somebody will do it more or less. But the point is it will always express how we see the world. And so, unfortunately, and this is again my opinion, of course, unfortunately, <laughs> our consciousness in the Western world has taken a, a bad turn. Some, at some point, possibly from the Roman Empire, but then for sure from the scientific revolution, we've taken a bad turn into thinking we can and even we should control others uh, culturally, physically, and the, 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 the entire planets and markets and everything. And so it's been conquer, control, divide all, all the way. And we have invented technologies to do that. What if our attention uh, started to go and what if it does start to go in this decade uh, in different direction? Instead of controlling, integrating, instead of telling, learning, including from the biosphere, instead, instead of competing for talent, for market shares, cooperating for a global creation of value. Imagine the change in the use of our technology. Once you start having less fear, you start living at the higher level, that kind of mutual support 
that you used for thousands of years to live in tribes, in families that generated the safety, the feeling of belonging in a world that indeed which was much more frightening for human beings than this one. And still we are the one most afraid of that world. Polynesian, Australian, African, you name it, all the ancestrals, they were not afraid as a culture. And then of course there is fear as emotion is another thing. Uh, I mean, if you have a lion in front of you, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. But as a, as a culture, as a civilization, we are freaking afraid of life. Imagine we focus our attention and our technology in a di different direction, what we can do with our technology and uh, what we have learned. Imagine we just end this teenage of playing with your daddy's car around the block and, and showing off and start using maturity in what we are able to do and how we want to be in the world. I think that requires, correct me if you, if you see it differently, uh, that requires a lot of control, a lot of self-knowledge. It requires control because we've been fighting for ages. Yeah. It's in our DNA, if you want it. To, yes. To, to switch competition to cooperation, it would require you to have that control over your behavior and think about the better thing for your community or for the world. Or for yourself. Or for yourself. Think about how much control it takes people when they are, they have, they're having uh, like anxiety problems or whatever, to just shut off the TV or not pick up the phone first thing in the morning and leaving it there hanging off for 30 minutes. It takes a lot. I wouldn't use the word control, even though it's part of it. I use, normally use the word discipline. As I, as I mean discipline in learning how to surf or martial arts, that kind of humble dedication. Um, some other people use diligence. I mean, yeah, there is some part is control, but a lot of it is also love. It's care. It's not the control driven by fear, but it's the control of yourself much more driven with the, by dedication, by willingness of reaching a different condition and the knowledge that that doesn't come from the next pill or the next off the shelf something or, or a switch you just flip, but it comes at every new step that you walk along the way. And uh, also it's interesting that more and more people are going trekking and walking. I think that's going to teach us a lot of stuff. I'm not sure what, I still wonder what, what this is going to teach us that we can walk long distances. But yeah, I have these discussions with friends that track themselves. I tried it for two months and I gave it up. Did you ever try trackers? Yeah, I, well, I think it depends why you do that. If you do this out of curiosity, it's something if you feel it, feel you like doing it, maybe it's different. So I think there are two things mainly. The first is being out there in, in, in the, the wild as much as you can or simply in the nature. Uh, and I love to walk and like, like just, just get half lost, not, not that lost that you cannot get back. <laughs> but like discovering new paths and, uh, and trails and so on. The second is being in that with yourself. And I think that's another thing we should learn because a lot, so one is that curiosity of discovering and not controlling and like being with other 
beings around you, like trees, beings that are sentient beings, that have uh, intelligence. And now it's been finally proven that actually trees can even recognize their offspring and take decisions and move in ways that show thinking, even though it's not exactly our thing. They even have neurotransmitters. So, but that's another, it's another topic. So being with other beings there, at the same time being with yourself, when we work, we get carried away. We just follow notifications, emails. You forget taking care of yourself at all. And that's a major problem. Then we somatize and we get a lot of disease. Actually, most of today's disease are somatic. And uh, trekking, going out in nature in many ways. I mean, I love to kite surf. It's pretty much the same thing. You just are there with the wind, with the waves, with the life around you. But you are with yourself. So you can think. But then at some point, as you walk or as you bicycle or whatever, you experience that transition from the turbulence of thought to a laminar, quiet state of mind. And that is something that makes a huge difference. Recovering that state of mind that is made of a flow, a light flow of thinking that are not thinking themselves. They're just passing by. And then some people then call it meditation or even pick it up as formal meditation. But it's, it's just really being in the flow of your life for a while. And then you can take that feeling, that experience, and bring it also to the most crowded of your workshops with customers. And that makes a difference in the value you can generate in the emotions that you can navigate with people and, 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 and in, in turn, finally, into the impact you can have in the world. So this is what I see in tracking. How do you bring all this knowledge and all this experience into the world of your clients? Because with some, I'm sh and I'm sure you have the same, not issue, but maybe a challenge that I have. Most want to talk about money, performance, uh, results that you get, even from things that are not necessarily quantifiable. Yeah. How do you make them see that side and I look don't. at the bigger picture? Okay. I don't. I try. Of course, I'm not always successful, but I try to remind myself that I don't know better than them. I am not better than them. I just can bring a different perspective, which I am living and believe it adds value. And I've seen it add value for a lot of people, but that doesn't mean it's better than the one they're living. It's better than a different perspective and they have to embrace it. So... With that in the mind and in the heart, I approach the work offering, deeply offering, with care, listening to the system and offering, trying to offer it in the way the system wants to receive it, this perspective, sometimes in terms of new practices, sometimes in terms of new principles, sometimes in terms of new stories. It depends on the context. And uh, I accept I, I truly simply accept humbly that it's not for everybody and uh, not that everybody are better than others. And this is just for the best people. It's simply not for everybody. It is for some people that uh, in that moment can use this thing. Other people maybe will never, others will maybe in one year and uh, just, just keep going. And I try to leave kindness behind whoever I meet I try to be useful even just in a conversation 
And then maybe they call back in five years because they have now a different perspective or not. Just uh, people which I wish luck and, and happiness deeply, simply. So this is what I try to do. And uh, there is a say, I don't know if the expression is used also in English. It's like we say the Red Cross complex. Like the, if you have it, it's like you think you have to rescue everybody and you are like the Red Cross. I try to avoid that, like hell. And I know a lot of people in our uh, scope, like let's say consulting, even though I don't like the word, that uh, that have it. And I we also make jokes uh, with them about it. They want to save everybody. I don't think that's uh, useful. I sometimes want that as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, that implies that you, in my opinion, that somehow implies that you know better which I really think is not the case. I think that each organism knows better. You some, Sometimes uh, my sister, my mother, myself needs to go through things that are not logic, that are painful. That's part of our life. So I respect that. Very nice. You started and you kept referring to the Western society, mm. right? And the way we do things in the West. Did you find a model that we cannot copy but look up to? Yeah, when I say Western, Western is is, is a shared uh, label, but I would may, maybe say that advanced technological society or something like that. Uh, it's not. It's, it's, it's global now. It's not Western. So, but originally, you know, there was this thing. Uh, even maybe in Asia, it's uh, in the in our East, which is Asia. Now it's even stronger than in the, in the West, maybe to some extent. Yeah, uh, I've been uh, I've been uh, trying to experience sometimes reading, sometimes traveling, sometimes meeting people, uh, some ancestral cultures like Native Americans. I've been living part of rituals and 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 you know life with origin, well, I mean, people from that uh, culture, even though, of course, in modern times, in, I was between 20 and 25. So it's not the eight, uh, the 19 people, American Indians. But the, still, there is a lot of culture, especially in the Lakota side. Uh, I've been uh, diving into some of the Polynesian and then namely Hawaiian culture, like Huna, and uh, Aboriginal wisdom also in Australia and something from Africa also. Uh, and, uh, and there are patterns. Once you do that, I mean, it's, for me, it's no wonder that people like, uh, like Gregory Bateson uh, were named anthropologists, even though if you study them, they're not. I mean, they're everything else as much as they are anthropologists. They change the thinking in so many fields. But when you study that, you get back to contact with some understanding of life, which is not cortical, but it's visceral. Uh, and it's the same in all the cultures that you come in contact with. It's the same. I cannot even explain it in, in clear words. Maybe I can, but I, I need to work on it to make it <laughs> not so immediately. Uh, but I think that there is a, a, more than a model there is an, an attitude, there is a, an intent, uh, a posture towards life that is common and that we have lost. And we should really recover that. Did you find that 
in your behavior afterwards, even if you can't really describe it in words, did you find a change yes. in your behavior? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, well, I have to mention that this trip, this journey in my life began when I was 12 or 13. And it started with uh, um, with Zen, with, uh, well, let's say Eastern uh, culture, but the, the ancient part. Then traveled a little bit to India, but it, the Indian part of it, for some reason, didn't resonate with me. Then quickly went to Polynesia on one hand and Australia to the other. So it, it is. It has been a journey. It's not being like in the last five years I've been reading books. I've been meeting people, talking with them, doing uh, sweating lodges, and I mean things. I've 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 done things. And uh, so there hasn't been a turning point in which I now recognize a different uh, way of doing or thinking. It has been slowly gradual. integrated, gradual. But then if I now look back and compare it to ways of reacting or thinking of, for example, colleagues in consulting, uh, speaking of, of, of the Red Cross <laughs> complex, uh, then I recognize that there is something that entered in me that makes me see things uh, some, to some extent differently from the mainstream technological command and control culture. That's for sure. And that's, that's quite common also. I've met uh, many other people in, in our stream of, of culture that have it. So it's not definitely not lost and it's not even that uh, scarce. It's there. It's just not mainstream, not enabled by our technologies, institutions, main paradigms, but it is there. It just, I don't think it's something that can die because it's so deep into who we are as a, as a species. I've read about it, but I never took a journey like you did actually going there. What would you recommend as a start? So if I, if I <laughs> were to start, what, um, where would you start now with all the knowledge that you have? That's a tough question because uh, my first reaction would be travel far to, to far. No, not necessarily far. Travel deep to a place that attracts you and look for that uh, old way of seeing life in that place. But in this moment, traveling is so hard. So actually, I don't know what to suggest. It's maybe you Let's can say start... traveling would be easy. I don't know. It, uh, my, I might start the journey next year when I'm vaccinated. Oh, well. One thing that uh, that I've learned and experienced over and over is that your soul, your body knows better. So there is one thing you can do. It's a, it's an interesting game. You just take a map of the world, you put it on the ground, and then you hang something on it. And you just swing it and you close your eyes, relax, think about what matters most for you for a while, and then you drop it and see where it falls and see how it feels. You could be surprised by what comes out of that experience as a first step, as a starting point. Yeah, I've never tried it. Never thought of it either. I mean, it's cheap. You can try it. It doesn't <laughs> cause any harm anyway. <laughs> Before I ask you about the C4 and Johanna meeting and so on, we started talking about the resilience and you mentioned anti-fragility. Do you make a difference between the two? Yeah, so first, anti-fragility, anti-fragile, as far as I know, is a marketing word created by Nicolas Nassim Taleb with a very interesting book. Actually, if you want to read one of the books, only one of, from Taleb, by Taleb, I would suggest anti-fragile, even though it's a very 
I mean, this is this paradigm, American paradigm, I'm sorry, of writing books where they keep repeating the same thing in different sources for the whole book. That's one of those, in my opinion. So if you arrive to one third of the book, probably you got the point quite clear already. But then if you want and you love it, just keep going till the end. Um, but yeah, I suggest the book, actually. It makes it's very book, I agree. so many examples about the concept. But then that's a specific kind of resilience. So basically what we're saying is that complexity, stressors do not harm you. That's resilience. If you add that they improve you, that's a specific kind of resilience. So it is not so uncommon. Actually, it's everywhere in the... Uh, it's everywhere in life. So if you, I think if you talk, talk about resilience, it's enough. But if you want to be more trendy and more specific, anti-fragile is a very nice work that I have used myself. So I'm not criticizing, but I'm just saying it's not a different thing. I think it's a more catchy word, for sure. Definitely it is. Definitely. It's, it's, you know why? Because it's, it's taking within the opposite. While when you say resilience, it doesn't evoke anything. When you say anti-fragile, it evokes uh, fragile, fragility. And so you say, wow, so there is something that is like opposing, uh, like an antidote to, to fragility, which is actually not exactly the concept, but it is more catchy for that. It is. It is for that, for that purpose alone, because in the end, even the definitions are, are very much similar. I, so you already have, I think, one year and something of C4 and 10 years of Ohana, of um, a Cocoon. Cocoon. Yeah. Tell me a bit about C4 and how is it going? As we started at the beginning, I think it's a, it's a wonderful initiative, something that has been missing. Well, thank you very much for that. It's important for us in this moment because this is one of those moments like you just had a baby. It's taking a lot of energies and it's giving back not much, but it is giving back. So it's exactly like a newborn. Uh, there are those moments in which it, it repays for all the effort. So what of is it giving back? Sleepless nights. Um, there are a lot of people that are saying in different ways mostly explicitly but also implicitly with actions that it is uh, changing their their perception their life in terms of how they see things and that's what we wanted to achieve we have a small audience at the moment so i think a few thousand people overall uh but uh, the, the the recurrence of this kind of feedback has been uh, striking so for that, I would say that it is, uh, it's worth nurturing and growing it up. Then, of course, it's, uh, it is, I mean, it's challenging in so many ways. We have chosen the live formula and we strongly believe in that. A lot of people are asking for uh, recorded stuff as well. So we're, tr we're trying to understand what to do with that. We are curating it. We don't want it to become a platform where everybody can propose something and then the market decides. Yeah, part of that, yes, we use that, but also we want, we want to make it curated. We want to bring uh, experiences that are together in harmony, like, like starting to build the music with adding instrument, adding rhythms and something to be the music that is different, sometimes dissonant, but it makes sense and you can choose it or, or, or not, but you can travel through it with, with a fil rouge. 
uh, and that is uh, that is demanding for the prices people pay for a series on C4. It's unsustainable. So we don't want to raise the prices because we have this cinema principle, which is you should be able to choose uh, two hours uh, on C4, uh, a similar price at two hours at cinema. And, Which is uh, what I appreciate very much, because usually this kind of laundage is sold at a very high price for this kind of workshops. So f f to begin with, it's, it's not uh, there to make money. I mean, it's a side uh, of, of Cocoon. Even Cocoon is re reinvesting everything, but C4 is really for a purpose, not for profit. But it has to be sustainable. At least it has to pay the team that works to maintain and evolve the platform and, and create the content and so on. But then if the prices are low, what happens is that people can choose many series and that makes the difference. You have to be able to jump from one voice to the other voice, from one perspective to another perspective. And that, need, that needs, it, it takes slow prices. Otherwise people would just have to choose like, this year I will do this training, 3000 euros, next training is going to be next year. And then it's not a training platform. It's not a platform with courses, it's so, diverse. So uh, we are experimenting with automation. We're trying to automate whatever we can automate, whatever is can be complicated without losing the, the core value of C4. We're trying to starting to automate and keep the human touch where it's needed in the curation and, uh, and in some decision on how to develop the, the underlying, let's say, technologies. It's not so much of a technology, but still there is software behind that. So how do you, how do you make it sustainable? Do you get any kind of crowdfunding? Did you get any no. kind of sponsorship? No, no, no. For the moment, it's just Gorgun paying for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the people that work in, uh, on C4, they volunteer at least half of their time. So you can bill, but you bill at maximum half of what you would normally bill for your time. And this is the same principle we are using inside. First month, first six months, we haven't, all the people working there have done it for free. Now we're starting to grow a little bit uh, and try also to stress the model. So let's see if it sustains. So to start uh, paying some money to us i'm part of the team actually and uh, and we'll see uh, we also have done some numbers to see if there is some break even uh, in in what in number of series in number of people uh, we're, we're playing with the revenue structure to see if there is like a community fee for other kind of things that can sustain it we're thinking about using open collective for that so there is much more to come it's really been just a few months but those few months have confirmed that it's worth it and that's the point i uh, i agree and and as i and as, as i told you before there is no such platform at this point clubhouse wants to be one but there's no video there and it's only iphone and it's only invite based so it's not really for everyone to uh, to access at this point Anybody interested in helping bringing a platform in which people can edutain themselves in embracing a broader worldview? Welcome to help in any way. We're doing our best. It's good. I will, I will uh, be part of it as well. And I'm very proud. So I'm working on it. I still have to send Letizia something. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Ohana meeting. Very quickly. What are you going to do? 
Hana meetup. Wow. Meet I, yeah. I cannot, the, I cannot unclose, un, uh, disclose it too much, but uh, so the Hana meetup is a meetup that we provide to the ecosystem. Again, it's something Kogun invests into. And what we get back is relationships, ideas, being with people. And that's enough for us. Uh, we publish the budget every year, how we've used the money and what we have provided to cover what was missing in the budget because Tickets. Full transparency, you told me that. Yeah, time. I mean, yeah. the tickets don't pay for even half of it. Uh, so this is the Ohana meetup. So Ohana is our ecosystem. That technically includes also people that have not come yet and people that are not with us anymore. So it's interesting as a concept. Again, it's our ecosystem anyway. So the meetup happens one, once per year. It's been done three times. Last year it's been done virtually, digitally. Uh, be, be, because of COVID. It's been beautiful. I love the video. I mean, I wasn't in the organizing team. They've done an amazing job. People said, I couldn't believe I was having this experience staying in my home. I, I really was there with you. We had cooked together, had dinner together, have a dancing part with people playing guitar. It was amazing. On top of all the work that has been done, very interesting and high level uh, work topics. Now this year is the same. We're trying to make it live again. We're doing our best. It's end of June. I can see any reason why COVID would make it impossible because even last year from June to August, it was fairly travelable. And so we should be able to make it. We hope so. And it's the 10th anniversary of Cocoon Pro. So the Ohana meetup is not about Cocoon and it would stay not about Cocoon. But the party at the end of, meetup, of, the, of, the, of the meetup in the evening, this time will be dedicated to our 10 years in the world as an organization. And so there will be a couple of surprises for that. And we hope to have a lot of people that really want to celebrate with us this. I mean, it's been a decade, man. It's a lot of stuff. One thing that you've learned in a decade of experimenting, <laughs> one thing. There is much more than collective intelligence. I've experienced it over and over. There is collective creativity, ability to create, to generate the new doesn't exist. That is definitely beyond the individual. Actually, it made me challenge that there is any that resides only in the individual. But then there is also collective wisdom, collective wisdom, the ability to apply creativity to knowledge and to the sense making of what emerged in life and navigated it uh, in beauty, in harmony. And what a collective can do if you organize it to do it, if you unleash the, 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 the bonds, the, the constraints, the, the that make it impossible, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's really it's really amazing. A couple of times I've said, okay, where well, this company is going to crash itself. And no, it was always right as, as an organism without anybody deciding the direction alone, not even in a specific scope. So collective wisdom, that would be yes. the takeaway. I believe life is polycentric. So now we are going from, we have been talking about from, pyramid to flat nothing in life is flat now we're talking from centralized to decentralized nothing in life is decentralized i think we need to do one more step and then we are there the next step is 3d so it's really 
the body of the thing. It's not up, down, but it's not flat either. It is a moving body with structures that change over time on the, on the structure. So not hierarchical, not pyramid, but not flat, maybe mix of these and other forms in real time. And as for control or power or resources allocation uh, or even information sharing, it needs to be polycentric. So in any given moment, it has to have different centers of power of information aggregation and so on. So different power nodes, if you think about it as a network, which is a reduction, but still better than others. Uh, and not decentralized because the moment you talk about decentralized you're just reacting it's like saying anti-fragile <laughs> so you're just reacting to the previous paradigm but it doesn't mean anything actually if you really think about it if you if it is centralized it's clear there is a center now if it is this, this if it is decentralized it means that there is not a center okay but then what instead of saying there is no center um, trying to see and then to design how for anything in any given moment there must be a center that is local for that thing in terms of geography of the organization or in terms of scopes like let's say organizational dynamics but it exists because in that's that means that there are attractors in the chaos let's say of the organization that's catalyze energy around key things in any given moment. So that can change. So you need it to be polycentric, actually like a city, which is not decentralized, not centralized. It is polycentric. 100% uh, with you. By the way, did you hear about, or do you know, maybe you've uh, heard about her on LinkedIn, Cristina Di Giacomo, talking about no. wisdom. Uh, she is, she did the past 10 years studies in uh, philosophy and she coined herself as an industrial philosopher because she's trying to use the wisdom of the ancient, um, uh, philosophers in industry. Mm -hmm. She has a book called Wise Up at Work. Thank you. I'm taking notes of everything. This is going uh, to be more useful for me than for your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very refreshing view, uh, on what you need to get by and what you need to be resilient. Instead of going into the very microcosmos of every single competency and trying to get this right and get the other one right and one goes up, the other one goes down, she just found a very nice, uh, the very nice concept of wisdom and bringing, that, uh, bringing back old practices that make you reflect on, on things in a different way. So uh, I think you would, uh, talking about collective wisdom, I think you would enjoy her, uh, her book. I'm just curious about what's coming. I feel a change in the wind. I think there are things uh, that uh, are moving mm -hmm. uh, that will generate new things. So I wrote an article for, on Huffington Post some time ago. Let me, let me find a future of work people. Mm -hmm. I, I just found it. It was uh, published on December 2017. On Huffington Post, it's uh, the future of work, people. In that article, uh, I used a model that we, a mental model of, of a river that I apply to society in that case. It's a model that we use when we work with human systems, with organizations. And I said, if you want to know what is going to emerge at the level of practices or even new tools, newer, new ways of working, you need to look what is now at the level of people, what is emerging there, because in time that will generate new ways of doing things. And I said, going around the world, it was 2017, I have found some patterns. Now, 
First is complexity is reality. And I think that it has been exploded quite well in the last couple of years. The other one is work is part of life. There's no work-life balance. It's the same thing integrated. Also, this, I think, happened. Then tools must be means, not goals. And I think here there is work coming up. I said money, institution, digital technologies are tools. So things that we devise, as I said before, to, to actualize ourselves in the world. Work is not a place. And now this has been really, <laughs> wow, <laughs> spot on. We are much more than rationality. And here also now I see it coming up strongly. There is a lot now about emotions at work. There is a lot about techniques also to, to do that. There is a lot about perception, intuition, also in advanced decision-making that has come up. Purpose and meaning are core. So not profit and power, central goals, but more other things. And we are a unique whole. It is the last pattern that I was spotting. Now, I think these things are coming to have come or are coming to surface in these years, last couple of years. Now, what I feel is that there are new patterns coming. There are new patterns that I, I haven't verbalized, but I felt in the last year, uh, yeah, a change in the wind, a change in where people are putting their attentions at all levels, families, individuals. There is a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety, which is normal. It's like collective but the reaction to that i think is going to bear very interesting fruits in the last in the next uh, couple of years not necessarily the whole decade but just really quickly can you voice some of them out i'm curious wow there is something about breaking the boundaries of contexts. So that could be, I'm voicing it up for the first time, huh? so it will be really rough. So uh, that could be meant as new jobs. So recruiting will be affected, universities will be affected. The way we divided scopes and contexts with labels and, and descriptions is going to explode in the last couple of five years. That would probably apply to markets. So we, our division in industries, I don't think it's going to make sense anymore. That is going to apply to society. So where education ends and business ends and so on, it's going to be maybe a little more slowly. It was very much more entrenched with the old paradigms, but it's going to be disrupted as well. This is what I feel. So everywhere you see contexts that have been divided, including the context of family and work and these kind of things, uh, by artificial boundaries, I think we're going to see very interesting things happen there. Unfortunately, not always for the good, huh? For example, the context of biology and mechanics is going to be disrupted as well. Uh, live and remote experiences is going to merge. So there is going to be coalescence across contexts generating completely different experiences, which in turn will generate completely different understandings of what we are and what we want to be in the world. This is what I sense coming.
some of them are already on the way if you talk about education. With, with all the self-studying and all the education that you find online, which is really good quality, some of it, and it's not taken into account, but it will, it will soon be, it will still, soon be scale. So definitely that, uh, that will change in a major yeah. way. Where I was coming with the Renaissance, now going back really at the, at the beginning, was that knowing that this is coming and knowing that there are pitfalls to this, even having an idea that this is the scenario or this is the pattern that we see, we can better prepared for it somehow. Make sure that we don't fall or don't somehow be able to overcome what the challenges are. And we will not be able to know all of them ahead. But at least for some of them, you can prepare so you can turn it in the right way or just be mindful of what's going to happen so you can make the right decision or know how you're going to make that decision when that when you hit the wall. The last one you said resonates more, more with me than the first. So knowing not what to decide, mm-hmm. but how to decide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the, 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 my, my path towards that is maybe slightly different. Instead of working with scenarios, uh, with the, given the variability, you are really at the edge of a new cow. So it's, everything can be possible. I'm one of those that think we're finally going to get in touch with intelligent extraterrestrial They already life. told us it exists. <laughs> in, no, in, I mean, in touch, meaning like, yes. like society, like yes. it's on TV, look. <laughs> yeah, in this decade. But then uh, um, my path towards that kind of preparation, being prepared to leave whatever comes, uh, goes much more through nurturing yourself, training yourself even, in being at home in the world, in being at home in your body, in being at home in your family, in being at home on this planet, which are things we have been overlooking for too long. And a lot of the fear, the anxiety comes from false safety we felt, which is not being at home in the world. So it's really that kind of things. Last year, some people asked me, what are you doing when we stopped for a few months uh, work in, uh, in Cocoon? Actually, we stopped apparently because we were devising C4 in that period. And I said, I'm training on Dagobah, which is for, for the people that like Star Wars, it's very significant. And, and this is what I was de- devoting my time. It's really to going back to the root of my being at home in the world. It's a path, it takes months, years, maybe the whole life, but that is what really makes you live, whatever comes. Yeah, what comes to my mind is how much media would help if they would just turn the page and not keep the fear alive of everything that's happening and keep the divide so big. I am very critical against media and journalists and so on, so I don't want to enter to, no, just, wait, to, no. to just to bring a bad mood to this, to no, this talk. It, I was just thinking, how about if they turn the page and then What help? about they change, define another word, another yeah. job entirely? Yeah. There's yeah, so much something. they can add. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not all of them, of course. Huh? <laughs> well, what I mean is not about the people, it's about the institutions and the money and the power and control uh, against uh, or on top or underneath uh, the information in the world. And that's, I mean, that's really so much last century that I just, I'm just 
I'm just done with it. I just turned off everything since a few years. And I, I just look for the information where I want, how I want, in the source that I want to listen to, and that's it. Maybe I know less than before, maybe not, but really I'm done. I always say to people that are dear to me that we feed ourselves in four, four ways, the air we breathe, the fluids we drink, the food we eat, and the information we feed, the thoughts we feed in our brain. And that's, I mean, that's so important. And you can get lost, even if you curate the kind of uh, information that you access, you can get lost in it as well. And I find that very difficult, for example, because I start reading a lot of stuff and I get fascinated by a lot of stuff. I'm not the Facebook or Instagram kind of type, but just Neither am the I. wealth of knowledge that's out there is just impressive. Well, back to your point previously, it is about uh, yeah, discipline, control, or, or whatever you want to call it. It's really about curating yeah. yourself like you would with, uh, I don't know, a child or, or whatever. Yeah. You have kids. I don't know how that is. <laughs> well, a garden, just the same. It's just daily care. Very nicely put. I've never heard this metaphor when someone is referred to their kids. Well, actually, interesting. I was referring about my self-care and I used both <laughs> metaphors of the kids and the garden, but probably they can apply on each other mutually. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, actually, it works for kids as well and for self-care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stelio, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Always. Thank you, Thank you so much for having me um, anytime you want. And, uh, well... Uh, I, I really hope people will reach out. There's so much work to do in these realms, new cross-contextual realms. And I use this uh, vehicle that you beautifully put together to really send out a, a message in a bottle to people. Reach out and let's coalesce, let's get together. There's so much to do. It's uh, really beyond the borders of my logo, your logo, my market, your market. It doesn't make sense anymore. Stelio, so have much. a wonderful day and thank you for your time as, as always.